Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent number one self-proclaimed podcast and video stream telling the stories of the old American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. This is my part, but I've got two other gentlemen. We would uh, call ourselves the uh, six-man tag team champs, right? Is that, could we call ourselves that? I mean, if any of us were athletic, maybe? Could we, we, could get, we say that? You know, the, we're the preeminent six-man tag team champions. Yeah, and Chris, I mean, we, we could yeah. call ourselves young, but the, the reality is that we're not. But, you <laughs> well, know. shit, they look at me, and that, that lies blown out of the water. So, <laughs> It's wrestling. It's, you know, it can be whatever we want it to be. You're, you're right. You're right. Good you know, I don't, think I've, I don't think I've used the word preeminent as many times. I think I said it one time just, you know, for shits and giggles, and all of a sudden now it's kind of become part of the gimmick in the open. So I, I feel like I have to commit to the bit, as they say. So we're, we're whatever we do, we're preeminent. I don't even know what it means. I can't even spell it, but it sounds really good. Doesn't it? Doesn't it, though? I mean, it really, it, sounds, it has a ring to it. It sounds like it's credibility. Well, yeah. And that is all the people need to know. Good show, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this was our preeminent podcast. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, we got a fun one today here, guys. We, you know, a few weeks ago, we got into Russell Rock. And for better, for worse, there were a lot of criticisms on it. And I feel rightfully so. Um, there were a lot of things that were good about it. There were things that were, you know, maybe some misses. But today we're going to talk about a show that I feel when we talk about the the annals of AWA history, this seems to be kind of a, a turning point yes. is kind of what I feel a lot of the people, the perception is. I'm not saying it, it is for me, but I'm saying that the, the show today I feel is maybe one that people point to and say this was where the, the, the shoe started to drop, so to speak. So we'll get to it here in a minute. Uh, first of all, I want to take care of some business. We got to ask you, please, not ask beg plead please we've got a youtube it's where you can see us you don't even to just see like that that's what i wanted to do um but please uh subscribe to the youtube channel uh go to uh go to uh, you know spotify apple google whatever um also we want to thank uh, Soda Stick. You can see Polish shows wearing the AWA Unleashed hoodie. Uh, he's got his, his gimmick in the gimmick there. Don't grab the nipple. Grab the – there you go. Yeah. When you're grabbing – I. that took a weird turn. But – You brought it up. Well, you're the one grabbing your shirt like this. I'm, uh, hey, I'm, I'm displaying the logo. Grab it up here. Grab it around the shoulder, not the nipple. But – yeah. Well, you know, who knows? I might have high nipples. On <laughs> <Hey>, your throat? <laughs> I just snorted. I can't believe I just snorted. Oh, my God. Anyway, if, if, if you want your AWA podcast. Uh, We're preeminent, all right. <laughs> switch. Preeminent. If you've got high nipples, if you've got low nipples. If you've got no nipples, it works for everybody. Uh, so to stick we together. are a nipple-friendly <laughs> podcast. Free the nipple! 
<laughs> no nipple discrimination here. Um, this, and, was uh, such a, this was such a great run with this show. Thank you, guys. And... <laughs> Cyril, he has said it's ever gone off the rails. We're not even at four and a half minutes. Oh, boy. Um, also, um, <laughs> 7th Avenue Pizza as well, you guys. Uh, it's really, it's, it's good pizza. Um, we had a sleepover with our uh, daughter and a friend of ours. Um, we got some 7th Avenue pizzas for them. Uh, absolutely fantastic. It's all around the Twin Cities. If for some reason uh, you can't find it, let me know. But uh, 7thAvenuePizza.com. All right. Let's regroup and uh, get to Super Sunday 83. There's one event mm. on this that I feel like everybody's going to want to talk about. We're going to get to the entire card itself but uh, like I said, guys, I really feel like people point to this April 24, 1983 at the St. Paul Civic Center and said that this is this was kind of that point where you, you push the button and it all started to change. You know, what's amazing about that is that you're talking about an event that was a blockbuster success from a financial standpoint. Uh you had a sold-out arena. You had closed-circuit television. Should have been riding the wave of whatever. I mean, the highest of highs. And then a year later, less than a year later, it, it all started to tank. So this is an important event, no question. And, uh, yeah. Joe, yeah, Joe, to, to kind of follow up on that, I mean, you know, Mick talked about the importance uh, were you, you, you were not in the AW at that point, right? You were, you were still kind of on the, I was this still was a, before your time. I was still a couple of years away. Certainly, uh, you know, got a lot of the insight once I got into the AWA. I mean, you're, you're right. This, well, let's start off with the event itself. This to me, and I think to any AWA fan, this was the pinnacle of the American Wrestling Association. This was the biggest event that they ever did, that they ever promoted. And to sort of now fast forward, fans have said that because Hogan didn't get the belt, that's why he left the AWA. No, that's not the case. It was mm -hmm. because of a T-shirt issue. Hogan even says that. Um, if Hogan would have gotten the championship at Super Sunday, would that have changed the course of the AWA? We'll never know, but in my opinion, absolutely not. If he would have gotten the belt, the, the behind-the-scenes issues would have still existed. Vince McMahon would have still come in and, and dropped a buttload of money to uh, Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan would have left. If anything, this just sped up Hogan leaving. And it would have been you know, a few months uh, after this, but it uh, would have been uh, about a year, I guess, before Hogan would uh, jump ship to the WWF, if I'm not mistaken. It was May of 84 when it was Hogan, Gene, mm -hmm. um, Bobby Heenan, and Jesse. Well, Jesse didn't leave at that point, but he knew it was going to. Dr. D. David Schultzloff. So 
it wasn't Hulk Hulk again, Hulk Hogan not getting the championship was not the reason the AWA started to take its nosedive. Just wanted to get that clear. And I mean, when you're talking about that timeline as well, I believe WrestleMania one was the end of May 85. So I just wonder with Vince taking a, a, and I know we're, we're going to get to that, you know, a a little bit later, you know, part of the show, but I I guess to kind of piggyback off of that, Joe, you know, if we're talking about the timeline, it's interesting that you're saying, you know, maybe about a year, you know, a year later, that essentially would have taken Hulk Hogan out of WrestleMania one. And, and that would have, you know, you would have had to have somebody else in that main event with Mr. T because, you know, that, that was, that was the gamble that we hear that Vince McMahon, you know, he took that on WrestleMania one, like he pushed all of his chips to the middle of the table. Well, as the line is, card subject to change. WrestleMania one would have still happened. Mr. T wouldn't have been involved. Mr. T got involved because of Hulk Hogan and the tie-in to Rocky. I mean, you know, so it would have just been booked differently. They would have had a different main event. But during that time in professional wrestling history, without question, Hulk Hogan was the single biggest superstar in the industry. You know, it's interesting, and this is to harken back to what Joe said a little bit ago about this being the the biggest AWA card of all time. I think to the average fan who doesn't necessarily pay a lot of historical attention, he would say, oh, WrestleRock. You know, they were at the Metrodome, biggest card ever. Uh, And then, you know, Comiskey Park, they had a big show. Mm -hmm. In terms of the importance, historical importance, uh, there's no question that this was the turning point. And again, as I said, it's amazing because if you're, and I was there, I was shooting pictures. If you're in that crowd of 19,000, 20,000 people blowing the roof off the place and you've yeah. got another seven, 8,000 people at the St. Paul Auditorium, the last thing that you're ever going to think is that a year from now, the AWA is going to start a down, downward spiral. And it was actually before that. You know, it was January of 84, I believe, that Hogan and uh, the Iron Sheik uh, had their uh, deal at, at Madison Square Garden. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you're talking a matter of eight months. Who would have ever thought it? But it also puts into perspective just how deep the friction was between not only Vern Gagne and Hulk Hogan, but you could see... Vince had the wheels in motion way back then. So, but we're going to talk about the whole card. Uh, there were ups and downs on that card, and then we'll we'll probably uh, you know circle back to the Hogan situation. Yeah. So, uh, kind of to get into that, Mick, the AW, they were hot. Like going into Super Sunday, because we talked about you know Wrestle Rock Metrodome felt like maybe they had over you know the St. Paul Civic Center seemed like the perfect place at the time with how hot the AWA was, it seemed like everything was lined up for this to kind of be the show. No question about it. And, you know, and and I quoted Nick Bockwinkel before about how well the AWA was doing at that time. And you're looking, and it was the Hogan years. There's no question about it. But, you know, like from 81, 82 into 83, 
they were so red hot. Uh, the AWA, uh, Joe knows this, every Sunday, you know, you'd see that uh, that crawl at the bottom of the screen, 500 standing room tickets available for tonight's show, you know, starting at noon. They were selling out the Civic Center every month, and that is no small potatoes. That's, you know, again, a lot of money. Uh, the AWA, St. Louis, a- and New York uh, were probably the hottest territories in the country. You might toss Atlanta in there, but the AWA is so incredibly hot back then. And then all of a sudden, boom, the lights went out. I mean, it's just an extraordinary uh, story. Yeah, to put into perspective uh, from the eight, from the internal AWA perspective, how big this event was, yep. a typical event at the St. Paul Civic Center or Minneapolis Auditorium, uh, the old St. Paul Auditorium, Vern would have one camera set up on a wide shot to record all of the matches. For Super Sunday, it was, he sprung for the money and did a multi-camera event or or, or taping, had the closed circuit next door. It was as big as the AWA had gotten, um, bigger than Vern's retirement match. And Mick, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the AWA have closed circuit also for Vern's retirement match? I believe they did, yeah. And and Vern, and again, you said it, Joe, mm-hmm. Vern's retirement match didn't do as well as Super Sunday did. And then just for, you know, longtime fans, to put it in perspective, when I was growing up, the average crowds were five, six, seven thousand. 7,000. If you had a blow-off match at the Minneapolis Auditorium and you drew 8,500, that was massive. And now you're talking about doubling plus the size of the crowd. And I realize the eras are different, but there was a fucking lot of money going around mm-hmm. the AWA uh, in the early 1980s. And then all of a sudden, like we say, boom, uh, shit hit the fan and, and uh, things were changed. So Yeah, to, to sort of put that into perspective, Mick, like what you were talking about, let's compare it to the WWF of even today or WWE of today. Um, they have a, uh, a pay-per-view, not, not a WrestleMania, but just like a regular pay-per-view event, which is what I'm going to equate Super Sunday to. They'll get 20,000 people in an arena. Think of the overhead that's involved with their production, the staging, the lighting, and all of that. For the AWA, it drew with Super Sunday and including the closed circuit, I'm going to say approximately 25,000 people. Yes. And the only additional expense that Vern has was doing the multi-camera shoot and then doing a feed right next door into the St. Paul mm-hmm. Auditorium. So in relation to the money that you're talking about, my God, that that Super Sunday made Vern a shitload of yep. money. And, and I'm glad I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the closed circuit, you guys, because some people might not know what closed circuit is. It was kind of the precursor to pay per view, and, and that's that's how these. To me, that that was correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe, but that was kind of the the way that these events were distributed before there was pay per view. Well, yeah, because it was a. We're going back to 1983. Cable television was barely a thing. You know, the Internet was like, what the hell is that? 
Yeah. You know, I don't think Al Gore invented it yet by then. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> but but, but it, closed circuit was indeed the precursor to home mm -hmm. pay-per-view. And it just exploded from there. But, but, but you're right. This was an enormous mm -hmm. event in professional wrestling history. And you know, people talk about Vern being behind the times. This is where I feel like, based on what I'm hearing from you guys, we got to give him credit for getting into that closed circuit because it, it was, you know, something that was maybe new with the, you know, cable television. Like maybe he didn't, you know, at the end of times, he, you know, the perception is, you know, he was a little outdated and antiquated, but here trying to expand the reach with closed circuit. Um, well, do we want to get into the, the show here now? I mean, because let's, there were yeah. a lot of things. Yep. Okay. Let's uh, go ahead and get into the, uh, the first match here. Uh, Brad Reggins defeated uh, someone that we've had on this podcast, uh, Tom Rocky Stone. Well, you know, it's, it's, by the way, the cat has made its appearance. There we go. Right on cue, you dirty. All right. Uh, but Brad Reggins, we talked about Brad, one of the strongest, physically strongest wrestlers in the history of the game. Uh, and against Tom Rocky Stone back in the day. And, you know, Brad eventually had a title shot against Nick Bockwinkel, you know, about a year down the road, year or two down the road. Uh, so Brad was no small potatoes. And Tom Rocky Stone, God bless him. You know, he came in, and, and I'm sure that was one of Tom's better paydays that he uh, made in his career, but not a bad opener. Just, you know, your standard, let's get the show rolling. Well, and, you know, I, I sort of look at it this way as well. I, I agree on, on what you said about Brad and, and, you know, Tom, a longtime veteran in the industry. Um, this is a warm-up match. It's a throwaway, if you will, in a matter of speaking for Vern. And having Tom Rocky Stone on there, I guarantee he didn't get the same payday that Brad did for that match. And so from the AWA perspective, it was like, look, you know, we don't need to have a marquee opening match. Let, let's throw this one. Let's, you know, Brad deserves to be on there. Uh, Tom deserved to be on there in a manner of speaking as well. But, yeah, it's a throwaway match, but the match itself was pretty damn good. And, and just to, real quickly to put things in perspective about how that worked, that opening match, yeah, that was the way it was. You built from the opening match to the main event. You didn't start with a main event match, even if it was on closed circuit TV. So standard fare for mm -hmm. back in the day. Yep. Another singles match that uh, followed that guy's, the, uh, the boombox guy uh, defeated uh, Mr. Electricity, Stephen Regal. You know, it's interesting. I, I was looking, researching some of the uh, Super Sunday results the other night, and on a couple of different websites, they didn't even mention that match, and I can only imagine why. Um, back then, the boombox guy was getting one hell of a push, uh, thanks to Bobby Heenan. There he is. That says That's the boombox guy. A little scarred up, but nonetheless, uh, there he is. Um, Bobby Heenan was the guy. Never that looked better. Never, never looked better. better. Bobby said, you know, I'll, I'll originally, you know, work with this guy. We'll give him a push and so on and so forth. Uh, Steve Regal, to me, very, very underrated uh, yeah. talent. And uh, that particular night, he put over the Wolfbox guy. And let's move on to the next match. Sounds like a plan to me. All right. 
All right, just wanted to get a picture. Oh, uh, there he is. I, I, thought, I, I thought Steve Regal had a, a really, really good look, too. I, I really did. Uh, uh, the next, oh, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, next one is uh, someone who, you know, don't necessarily, he was an AWA champion, but people don't necessarily associate him all that much with the AWA, and that is uh, Jerry the King Lawler defeating uh, someone that we knew later as the coach, John Tolos. Very interesting matchup here. Uh, two things. Jerry came in as a babyface uh, back in 1983. He had the you know nationwide, worldwide recognition. Uh, he didn't have the heel persona that he did when he was the AWA champion. Um, John Tolos, on the other hand, I've talked about this before. He's one of those guys, one of the longtime veterans in the business that had a stellar career both as a singles wrestler and as a tag team with his brother, Chris. Uh, he came into the AWA uh, for a cup of coffee. There's uh, there's Jerry the King uh, back in his heyday. And John Tolos was not in the AWA very long. And sad to say, it was towards the end of his career. Again, a match, you know, kind of like the matches at Wrestle Rock that Joe and I have talked about. You got a name, you're bringing him in. Um, but Jerry Lawler and John Tolos, in the scheme of things, what for? Um, it was it was a match on a blockbuster card, but it yeah, went nowhere, you know, from there. And uh, Jerry went over, of course, but uh, very interesting matchup. You got to see two legends, I, I guess, is the bottom line there. Well, yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, Jerry really wasn't quite the legend yet. He was, yeah. I mean, he was in his beginning of his prime if you will. And uh, I, I mean, Jerry in Mid-South was as big as it got. Um, bringing him in for this event. Yeah, sort of another throwaway match. But you had two ring veterans that knew what the hell they were doing mm -hmm. and how to do it in the ring. Um, similar to Wrestle Rock in terms of two names that weren't mainstays in the AWA at the time, but unlike Wrestle Rock, insert Giant Baba and Bulldog Bob Brown, um, these two delivered for Super Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want I want to ask you guys this because it seems like a theme the last couple of, of shows that we've done about you know Wrestle Rock and now this. That there were, it was almost overbooked to a point where, like, more is not necessarily better. The AWA, at its heyday, some would say you had less, I mean, you might have a, a, a card that only had four matches, and all of a sudden now you're doubling or tripling that. When do you feel, guys, just being fans of it, did you ever remember, you know, it getting to the point where just a lot of this stuff, it went from, nice and tight and story driven to just more or less filler. Cause I feel like that's kind of what we're talking about. And that's one of the main criticisms of some of these later shows is a lot of it was just filler. Well, we lost Mr. Tubbs. I think he might be gone for his nipples. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> oh, Hey, he's back. Oh, he, he, he's back. Oh yeah. I might've, I, I might've accidentally have, uh, have hit a button. I don't know if you guys caught what I yeah. said, but just, yeah. Asking about more filler and less, uh, you know, less nipples. Well, you know, when I was growing up, you know, back in the Abe Lincoln days, 
there were four matches on a show. I mean, that was it. There was four, then they went to five, then they went to six. If they had seven or eight matches in the late 70s, early 80s, that was kind of the peak. That was pushing the envelope. Uh, I, so, yeah, even with seven or eight matches, there was some filler. Uh, there's no question about the fact that if Vern is going to call this Super Sunday, he's going to have names on the show. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, call it any other Sunday or any given Sunday or whatever you want to say. Um, Wrestle Rock, of course, was a whole different animal. That was way over the top. Twice as many matches as they should have had, no question about it. I think that with eight matches on the Super Sunday show, that probably was just about enough. And no match, I don't think any match on the show went 20 minutes. So that's another thing. You know, you still had the pacing. Uh, as opposed to Wrestle Rock, which just droned on and on and on. So it really wasn't that bad, Chris, all things considered. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I recall the the cards being two, maybe three matches that were, I've got to see. Everything else was just an opening act, just something for the fans to digest and uh, uh, and and watch as they're salivating for those main event matches. And that was wrestling. That yeah. was the way wrestling yeah. was presented everywhere. So you didn't need eight main events. Correct. All right, let's get to the uh, the women's tag team match here, guys. Uh, it was the Texas Cowgirls, Wendy Richter and Joyce Grable. Uh, they defeated Judy Martin and Velvet McIntyre. The only women's match on the on the show. I believe they they promoted that as a title match, too, as a tag team title match, which is kind of interesting because those four ladies mixed and match, teaming up with each other and facing each other all over the world for years and years. You know, you look at that Wendy Richter teaming up with, you know, Joyce Grable and then, you know, Judy Martin, Velvet, you know, toss them in a hat. If you look over the history of wrestling, these four gals continuously were wrestling against or with each other. The one thing that I remember about that match, and this was kind of an embarrassment, they went into a spot for about a minute solid where one lady after another is diving and missing her opponent. One would do it, the other would do it, and they did it continuously to the point where even the fans in the Civic Center were booing it. And, you know, that's, that's not the kind of a, a legacy you want to remember on a match. But you had four of the greatest lady wrestlers in the world, too. But, again, special attraction mm-hmm. on Super Sunday. I really don't have anything to add to that, Mick. You hit it right on the head for this match. Great match. I mean, four, four legends in women's wrestling. Yes. I mean, they, they deserve every accolade that they get. But, yeah, it was just a special attraction, um, maybe one step above a throwaway match, mm-hmm. but still just a special attraction added to give the fans just more wrestling rather than substance. There you go. The, uh, the next one features uh, an all-time great in Wahoo McDaniel defeating someone that he's better known in other promotions uh, but Dizzy Ed Boulder, uh, this one uh, kind of, I don't know, take me through this one, you guys. Wahoo and uh, Dizzy Dizzy Ed. There's not a lot to take it through. 
Uh, to be honest with you, the match, I believe, was about seven or eight minutes. Uh, Dizzy Ed, who, of course, came into the AWA uh, with Hulk Hogan, his best friend from the Tampa, Florida area. Um, Dizzy Ed, who eventually became Brutus the Barber Beefcake. There's Dizzy Ed in his uh, glory days. And, and of course, they had teamed up, Terry and Ed Boulder, down in the, uh, in the uh, southern part of the United States. Uh, Wahoo, at this point, actually had come in. He returned to the AWA. He actually had a couple of matches with, uh, matches with Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, for the championship. So Wahoo, while he was kind of advancing in his career, still had enough of a name. He was still tremendously popular here. Again, uh, just a match, a match on the show. They put Wahoo over in about seven or eight minutes and uh, not bad for what it was. Yeah. I remember seeing that match for the first time when uh, I shouldn't say the first time. I, I was at Super Sunday, but seeing the match on tape where uh, this would have been early 86, Brutus the Barber Beefcake was in the WWF um, by, by that point. And recognizing when I put up the one-inch reel and seeing Dizzy Ed Boulder, it's like, oh, my God, that's Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, didn't put two and two together yeah. until... Uh, you know, until a couple of years, three years after the event, but um, it was a pleasant surprise, wasn't it? You're like, oh, look it, at that guy. It, it, it was, uh, on one hand, a pleasant surprise, on another hand, sort of disappointing that he's now Brutus the Barber Beefcake doing huge things yeah. in the WWF, which for me was, I'm in com competition with them. I got my ass kicked, and you know. Just from being an employee of the AWA, I got my ass kicked by the WWF. But, um, but yeah, um, Dizzy Head Boulder went uh, went on to do a few things in his career. Let, let me ask you about th that, guys, because we know that the th there's the connection between Hulk Hogan and you know Brutus Beefcake. You know, longtime friends, always connected at the hip. Was there ever any, did you guys know like any of that connection at the time? Like those guys, okay. Cause I was thinking, would it have made sense? I mean, looking back to with as hot as Hogan was to team those two together or connect those two together. Do you feel like that would have been something that would have worked to, and this is just all kind of spitballing off the top of my head here because they, they do have this, rapport that maybe nobody knew about it, but maybe Vern could have, you know, they could have taken advantage of that. You would have had to have turned Dizzy Ed, uh, babyface, because, you know, once Hogan started steamrolling as a babyface, there was no getting No stopping, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and they had been heels, you know, teaming up before. Um, it's it's interesting, of the, of the characters – Beefcake and Dizzy Ed, I like Dizzy Ed Boulder's character a lot more. And he wasn't here all that long, but he was he was more animated. He was kind mm -hmm. of a goofy heel. And uh, But to, to answer your question, I, I really don't think so. Um, Dizzy Ed, for whatever reason, didn't, didn't really catch on here. He was a mid-card guy. They didn't mm -hmm. do anything else with him beyond that. So, And it really didn't have a chance to go anywhere because the time frame as you know, boom, right. eight months yeah. later, everything changed. So, uh, yeah, all speculative. Yeah, I mean, at this time, putting Hogan in a tag team match, 
Uh, which they did a couple of times. I mean, Hogan and Andre faced the Heenan stable and, you know, it was all a buildup to, um, to get that match between Hogan and Bachwinkle. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, gotta be yeah. spectacular. It's, it's yeah. gotta be your, your premier name. You, this wasn't a point to, to elevate somebody else. Give them the rope. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Hogan okay. during this time needed, had to, and thankfully was, a singles wrestler predominantly. That's where he needed to be, where he was with his popularity at the time. Again, the single biggest star in professional wrestling at that point. All right, let's uh, let's go on to the uh, the next one here, guys. We're starting to get into some really big names. Uh, we had a six-man tag, Jesse Ventura, Ken Patera, and Blackjack Lanza. Uh, defeating the High Flyers, Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel, and Rick Martel. Excellent six-man tag match. Um, you arguably had six of the AWA's biggest stars at the time, although Martel, of course, would go on, you know, a couple of years down the road and become an even uh, bigger attraction as the AWA champion. But you had six big names in that six-man. And what's interesting about it is that the heels went over. Uh, you would think that on a show like that, and I, I honest to God, I don't remember what the storyline was. Uh, look at there he is. There's the old gov. It's a conspiracy, I tell you. Um, I don't remember what Blackjack Lanza, how he got inserted into that situation. But to put the heels over on that show was really, really an interesting step. There's uh, Jack Lanza right there. Uh, but again, I, I don't remember this really going anywhere uh, other than the fact that you had the High Flyers and Martel and Patera and Jesse and all kind of a mix and match over the, over the past couple of years. So uh, from, a, from a star standpoint, from a star-studded standpoint, uh, Ken Patera there, a great matchup. Uh, but again, fallout, ramifications, I, I don't remember any. I, you're right. Six huge names. Um, I sort of consider this a throwaway match in a manner of speaking to me. And I remember thinking this back at the time, I would have rather have seen Jesse and Adrian, the East West connection go against the high flyers for the tag team championship to me, the reason it's a throwaway match is because Lanza and Martel really didn't make sense. You know, it, it, it just, it made for a good, you know, six-man tag, but as you said, Mick, it didn't go anywhere. So for me, this was just more substance, more wrestling to it. It really didn't have a huge impact moving forward. Quite frankly, leading up to it outside of the East-West connection and the high flyers, there just wasn't enough heat generated for me going into this match. You know, I, I think, guys, that maybe we ought to define what we are calling a throwaway match. Uh, throwaway might be too denigrating. I mean, we've all used it. It's not a throwaway match. I think... At least from my perspective, <clears throat> it is a match that it's there. You got talent in it, but in the scheme of things, long-term storyline and planning, it doesn't. It didn't do anything. Yeah, didn't it? Didn't make any sense. 
it's it's sort of like a, a seven course meal. Okay, the the first few bites, yeah, it's something it it gives you a taste for wanting more, but that sixth course, of course, seven has to be the the, the dessert. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it it yeah, you're right. Not a throwaway match. I, I, much like I did with Barry, probably used the wrong choice of words. But it wasn't. Well, let me bring Barry into the conversation right now. Hold on, let me let me go get healed, Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, throwaway match might, yeah, a little strong there. But it 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 didn't have the substance of the last two matches. Right. That we will get into. In fact, you could take the first six matches, put them all together. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't have the impact of the double main event of Correct. Super Sunday. Okay, so do we want to go to the the main talking point now, or do we want to skip over to the last one and then? Sir, I said let's skip over the one that everybody's talking I about was, because I I know that that's going to be we're going to spend a significant amount of time on that when we get about twenty three minutes left here, guys. So I want to give that one its time. Uh, the uh, Vern coming out of retirement teaming with Mad Dog Vachon to defeat uh, Jerry Blackwell and Sheik Adnan. This was um, an ongoing feud. Um, you know, with Vern's broken ribs, of course, were involved at a certain point, And, you know, Greg was involved at a certain point. And, I mean, th- this really went on and on with Vern, you know, reaching out to his whole tag team partner, or his whole nemesis, rather, uh, Mad Dog Vishon. There's Vern and the dog. There's those two headlights coming at you. Um, it, was, it was a good match. It was nothing spectacular. Of uh, outside of name value and the fact that you know you had Vern and the dog teaming together, the former enemies, but both of these guys were in their late fifties at the time. They couldn't do a lot. Uh, Sheik Adnan, God bless him, didn't want to do a lot uh, in the ring, and so Jerry Jerry was always the workhorse. Um, I believe, if I remember correctly, Joe, wasn't this the match where Vern came off the top rope with his knee onto Adnan's cast? Uh, you know, his three-year-old cast. Yeah, yeah. It made Iron Mike Sharp's wristband look, uh, you know, look tame. Um, but but that was about it. And of course, Vern and the dog went over. The crowd went crazy. But uh, because of what happened in the match prior. Uh, the fans, I don't think, popped as much as they normally would have because they were mm-hmm. very displeased uh, over what had transpired earlier on. But, you know, for what it was, Vern and the dog, you know, against the, you know, the Sheik and, and uh, Blackwell, uh, fun stuff. I would pay to see that kind of stuff as opposed to most of the stuff that's out there today. The buildup for this match was much better, much bigger than the match itself. Vern and Mad Dog tagging together. Um, I remember the one interview, when this is over, you go your way and I'll go mine. And you had two guys, Mad Dog and Vern, who, I mean, God, countless, countless battles over the previous 15, 20 years and you see them later in your career. I mean, keep in mind, Vern came out of retirement 
for this match. Mm-hmm. He had, uh, what was it, May of 80? 81. May 81. Was Vern's retirement match. So you got uh, a couple of years later, and he decided just needed to get back in there. Um, some detractors would say that he came out of retirement just because he knew that it was going to be a huge payday between Bachwinkle and Hogan. Um, Vern loved the spotlight and couldn't resist to come out of retirement to this. And the fan, I mean, and I was one of them. The fans loved that this match was on the card in reference. Yeah. To- I mean, are, are those, are those really, okay. So he came out of retirement because it was, he loves the adulation. There was going to be money. Big deal. Like what's, what's wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. But the point that Mick brought up earlier about the match prior, which we will talk about next, taking uh, a lot of the steam out of it. Yeah. Um, be curious if they would have flipped those two matches. I was thinking about what that. the reaction of the fans would have been a to this match, mm-hmm. but then b leaving Super Sunday with that bad taste yeah. from the Hogan and Bachwinkle match. Because you want to leave the crowd, you you want to leave the crowd happy, and that's interesting that you guys mentioned that's that the, yep. the 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 crowd was so disappointed, pissed, angry, whatever, because of what happened before that it was just, it was really unfortunate that, I mean, I think the mad dog weren't, you know, I'll go my way, you go yours. I mean, the, the whole, like the whole concept of that last match, I, I dig the concept, but yeah, that, that's an interesting point, Joe, flipping those two, would that have made a difference? But also keep this in mind, the time of year that this match was done, um, April was April was the Super Bowl of the AWA. It was the World Series of the AWA time period wise because once you got into May, especially in Minnesota, yeah, the weekends came and in Minnesota we know that you don't have a lot of weekends and so people are going to go to the cabin. They want to get outdoors after being cooped up and having cabin fever for the last 200 months leading into it. And so to leave the fans with that good taste in their mouth for an April event made perfect sense to me. Um, I've been to plenty of AWA cards prior to that where you left with a bad taste in your mouth because of the main event. But what did that do? That just made you want to buy a ticket for the next month. So there was a logic behind the booking. Mm-hmm. And from that perspective, this match happening, or this card happening when it did, that's why to me it makes sense to put the, the Vernon Mad Dog against Sheik and Adnan match, or uh, yeah, uh, Blackwell and Adnan match yeah. at the end. People could go into summer, the season finale before the next season begins. They now can say, yeah. But Vernon Mad Dog won. What I, I just want to add one quick thing to this, Chris, uh, to your point. Um, it, it's not that the crowd was not into the Vernon Mad Dog tag match. They were. Uh, you know, if you watch the if you watch the tape, uh, yeah, the, the, the fans popped. I don't think the AWA ever imagined the crowd being as pissed off as they were 
at the result of the Bockwinkle match. Mm-hmm. I think they figured that, you know, they would be upset. Okay. But, you know, Vernon Mad Dog will come on and we'll send them home happy. I'm sure that was the philosophy. But you had a near riot situation in your in the Bockwinkle match. The crowd was red hot. They were mm-hmm. furious. And I don't think the AWA ever anticipated that in a million years. So. Well, let, let's get to that match because – this was a, a Matt Nick Bockwinkle versus Hulk Hogan for the AWA championship. Hogan, it appeared, had won the title. And then you had your you know special guest referee and uh, Lord James Beers uh, just under 18 minutes or uh, just over 18 minutes. Reverse decision and Nick Bockwinkle retained over Hulk Hogan uh, via disqualification. And... Take me through, guys, just this entire match. And we know the fallout, but let's, I'm going to let you guys really kind of get into the nuts and bolts of this because this, no matter what else happened on this card, this seems to be what everybody remembers. And this event, this 20 minute time period seems to be something that is frozen in time in fans' memories. You got to remember, Chris, Hogan had been chasing the title for a couple of years. Uh, He had other title matches. He had had, uh, been screwed, if you will, out of the title. The fans were absolutely primed and ready. There was nothing about this match that said Bockwinkle is going to walk out the champion. Everything pointed to a title change. The promos, the hype, the closed circuit TV, everything. And there you see, there's there's uh, Nick and Bobby, and of course, uh, Hogan, Lord James Blears, and over Hogan's shoulder is Stanley Blackburn. And you knew something was up if Stanley was in town. Um, everything was primed for a Hogan victory. If it's the Vern Gagne thought process that, okay, the fans are going to be upset, but damn it, they're going to buy a ticket next month and we got to, we got to, you know, buy the, buy them off. Now we're, we're reeling them in. Yeah. I know if we do a screw job finish here again, I don't think they ever anticipated this much fallout, this much anger. Um, There were a couple of things about the match that I remember specifically. First of all, it was an excellent match for what it was back and forth. The heat that Hogan got, uh, you know, or, or the, the baby face pop, uh, the heat that Nick and Bobby got was off the charts, as you would expect. So if you're 25,000 people and you're looking for a title change, and all of a sudden towards the end of the match, Lord James Blears takes two of the most horrible-looking bumps in the history of wrestling. The second bump, I believe, he literally did an Angel Rivera swan dive to the canvas and the fans just weren't buying it and it was almost at that point i don't know if you agree with me guys watching the match when he took that second bump even though the finish hadn't happened yet i think the fans were starting to gear up in their mind "Uh uh-oh you know this is not going the way we think it's gonna go Mm -hmm. and then to award Hogan the championship and then reverse the decision after the fans are ecstatic. Bad booking. I mean, that, that that's all I can say. Bad booking. I've long said that the easiest job in the world 
is to be a critic. Right. Because you're never wrong. You're voicing your opinion. And uh, th this is, by the way, not a, a, a shot at you for what you uh, just said, Mick, um, because I have to say I probably agree um, with you. But if, if Hogan would have gotten the belt, in hindsight, what do you think the next several months of the AWA would have been like, knowing that Vince was out there and had that fishing line in the water to get Hulk Hogan, that, that the landscape in professional wrestling was about to change like it had never, ever changed before. On one hand, um, if I'm looking at it on one hand, I sort of like the fact that Hogan didn't get the belt uh, from a possibly a booking standpoint. Um, if it would have been done maybe in February or March, I think it would have been a little bit more, but to do it as a season finale, not knowing if you're going to be renewed for another season, that's why I think it was a bad finish a, a bad way to end that season um you had had two years already um to to uh, i'm gonna date myself the sam and diane from cheers i mean how long did they go back and forth and fans wanted them to finally get together and when they did you got the huge pop i think the awa missed its opportunity and they should have given Hogan the belt at the time, even if he would have been stripped of it or lost it a few months later to give the fans what they really wanted after being dedicated for two years of this angle being built up. So kind of to follow up on that, guys, do and I know that we, we might go a little longer that that's fine because I mean this this is kind of a you know this is kind of what people are talking about when it comes to this show if they didn't do it there do you feel like there would have been could they have done it down the road like could they have done it I kind of understand doing it at the end of a season like a cliffhanger I, I mean I, I can kind of understand that but do you feel like they would have given him the belt eventually like or would this have been I mean, maybe Mackenzie's got a thought on it too. Uh, I know, I heard that. What did What did she say? Would Would, uh, would Vern have given him the belt down the road? Uh, she said, "Who's Vern Gagne?" Okay. So, uh, uh, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying, Chris. I I want to backtrack one second to what Joe was saying. First of all, um, as far as not giving Hogan the belt that night, I don't think that was a bad decision. Um. In the scheme of things, I guess when, when I'm talking about bad booking, maybe they didn't see the landscape. Maybe there was more going on behind the scenes. They figure maybe they had more time. Exactly. And, and yeah. it's, isn't it possible, and I don't know if this is the case, that when Hogan doesn't get the title that night, then Vince really starts calling him and saying, you know what, Terry, they didn't give you the belt. 
come on, you know, we're not only going to give you the belt, you're going to make oodles of money. Mm-hmm. So that might have gotten the wheels in motion a little bit. I, I think for me, it, it was the way that they finished the match that leaves a sour taste in my mouth. You know, if you're going to have Hogan go crazy, punch Bobby Heenan, throw Nick over the top rope, get disqualified, whatever, that's fine, okay? But you got a red-hot crowd here, and now you're doing these ridiculous referee bumps. Then you're letting the fans think that the championship has changed hands. They are ecstatic. They're orgasmic over this finally Hulk Hogan has won the championship. And then you come in with this silly reversal, which the AWA had been notorious for. They did the same kind of a screw job with Lawler and Von Erich, you know, years down the road. So I I just think it was a matter of getting too cute. Uh, Simple is better. And switching, switching the title back after the match was over, I think was the worst thing they could have done. I don't disagree with you, Mick. I'll still say for me that Hogan, they should have just given it to Hogan by that point for the simple reason, just for me, that's my opinion, uh, being the, the critic here. We, we had seen this run for so long that it was time to pay it off. They yeah. tried to milk the cow too many times right. in a day for me. Um, they, they give it, give it to Hogan and, and, uh, follow it up in the fall time or whenever and start a new feud, whether you do it with Nick again or, or somebody else. Um, I had seen, um, enough of Hogan chasing it as a fan. I wanted to see him be the champion to finally satisfy that craving that I had had for two years um, but Mick, you are correct that 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 finish uh, w- was brutal. If you're going to uh, have a referee or a couple of referee bumps be the cause for the reversal, they shouldn't have had a 60-some-year-old Lord James Blears be the referee. They should have had a Gary Derusha or somebody who could have taken a legitimate bump um, to to maybe make that seem more real, but mm-hmm. yeah, Blears did not sell it whatsoever. The, any, the three of us could have taken a better bump today. Well, Mick's been taking bumps his entire life. So I have, I have, uh, you know, especially over the last year plus on this <laughs> podcast. But uh, one thing I would say to Chris's point, which I think is a very good point. If you give Hogan the title, and I'm not saying they should have or shouldn't have. Well, this is a talking per- point for eternity. Right. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's, I it's think always going to be that. I think you know, Hogan was gone regardless. I mean, that's just my feeling on it, that mm-hmm. even if they gave him the title, he was going anyway. So at what point does he do a Jesse Ventura and all of a sudden he walks out, he misses his dates. There was already heat with Vernon Hogan over – merchandising over Japanese situations that was already there. The seed was already planted. This I think was the icing on the cake. And I'm not convinced that Hogan wouldn't have gone anyway, that Vince would have lured him anyway. And it would have been a situation where all of a sudden, well, we got to hold a tournament because Hulk Hogan turned tail and ran. The competition is too, too stiff here in the AWA. You know, we wrestle here. Um, 
I I just you know there's a shot of, of Vernon Hogan uh, and that's in a Japanese magazine of all things. By and, the way, Vern is pulling the hair. Do you notice that? Vern's I noticed that Vern's he's, pulling the hair. Well, yeah, he, I think he's trying to get some for himself. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the irony here is that this is in a Japanese wrestling magazine where so much of the heat between Vernon Hogan started. Uh, Joe, I don't disagree with you. I don't agree with you on whether or not the title, you know, should have changed that night. All I know is in the, the scheme of things, the fans left pissed off. It was a horrible finish. And eight months later, Hulk Hogan was gone. Now, if he would have stayed, would Vince still have taken over all the territories? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's my personal opinion. And there we go. Let's uh yeah, you, you nailed it. There, there is no right or wrong answer to this. There, there, it's all there, subjective. Hindsight twenty twenty. There, there you go. Exactly. The, the the reality is that this was the true beginning of the end of the AWA. It was the first drip out of that faucet that go. eventually turned into a fire hose and everything burned down. That is the reality of Super Sunday. Yep. All right, guys, got a, a couple of minutes here. Let's go ahead and give some shout-outs. Uh, Mick, why don't you go ahead and go first? I don't know if I've given my shout-out to this guy before or not, but if I have or haven't, he deserves another one. That's my old broadcast colleague, Dale Spear. Uh, Dale is a wrestling a fanatic. He's an old-school guy. He is very close with Jim Cornette, I might add. Uh, they have a very close personal relationship. Uh, Dale, love you, buddy. And uh, as an aside, Dale just lost his mom uh, within the, the last day or so. So my condolences to you there, Dale. But uh, great friend, great companion, great colleague. My shout out goes to somebody I played fantasy baseball with for years and didn't know until a um, few years into our fantasy baseball uh, relationship that he was a huge AWA fan. And he's also a toy collector, loves the old Remco figures, and he's got the whole setup. And uh, so for being a lifelong wrestling fan, it just took me a while to realize that my shout out goes to Andy Mahalchik. And uh, mine's gonna go out to Brad Morrison at the Brad Morrison on Twitter. And uh, always uh, responds, always retweeting, liking and commenting. So. Appreciate it. And uh, if you want a shout out, be like Brad, subscribe, rate, Uh, review, uh, go to our YouTube page, guys. That's the best way to help us grow this thing. And uh, go to 7th Avenue Pizza, grab yourself some pizza, uh, find it all around the metro. If you can't, uh, 7thAvenuePizza.com, so to stick CO. Maybe they'll even get you a, a shirt with the nipples cut out uh high high nipples low nipple there yes yes see what we ought to do is maybe have a new redesign the stars except the bottom two are nipples you know nipples, what starts start, 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 our nipple you know we don't know how high chupik's nipples really are so if we ever see him tugging at his ears you know there could be more to it than we know hey at my age i'm just happy that not everything is sagging <laughs>